Welcome back to more of season four of the Jobs Blow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is the podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Becoming an Icon with artist, performer, and producer, Nikenji. Welcome to the show, Nikenji. Thank you so much for being here today. I just, I want to talk about a little bit of how you got here today, and it's through my friendship with Yvonne and Dennis. And we met at a 13-year-old's birthday party recently, and I asked you to, to come on the show. And I was doing research leading up to this moment, knowing that you were a Broadway actress, and was blown away by what I learned about you. So I'm just going to walk through some of the things I found. <laughs> Thank you. So you were able to unite the New York Times and the New York Post in how talented you are. They don't often agree on things, but they agree that you are, what did the New York Times say? A uh, classically trained diva that can stretch from Broadway pop soul to opera. You slayed the game on Broadway, originating the role of Mary Wells in Motown the Musical. An international award-winning singer's musical range covers 11 languages and genres that stretches from opera, gospel, jazz, pop, and musical theater. You sang at President Obama's historical Commander-in-Chief inaugural ball. You've headlined pop and opera concerts with the Seattle Symphony, Jacksonville Symphony, Cincinnati Symphony, Indianapolis, and Cleveland Orchestra, to name a few. And you're the an alumni of both Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music. Now, I've had a lot of guests on here, and I got to say, I'm a little intimidated today. Because, <laughs> no, that, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And look, I have a lot of stuff on my resume, but nothing that measures up to not one single bullet on yours. So again, welcome to the show. Thank you um, so much. <laughs> super, super excited to talk about your journey, um, what you're working on now, because I know you've got some exciting things coming up, but definitely want to talk about your path to today. But before we get started, I pulled a quote and I want to see if you know who said this quote, because it it's, um, we'll be talking about this person later. If one person in a thousand criticized me while all others cheered, I didn't hear the cheers. Do you have any idea who said that quote? I don't. I don't. Dorothy Dandridge. <gasps> oh, Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. The, the, the legend, the, <laughs> I'm in awe of her, everything, everything that she does, everything that she has accomplished. Yes. That is an amazing quote. I can't believe I didn't know it. Well, I mean, Shame I, didn't, on me. Shame I, didn't, I didn't expect you to know all of her quotes <laughs> and we'll talk later about why you should, why you are very familiar with Dorothy Dandridge, but let's talk about, so you um, grew up in New York and did you know from the start that you were a performer? I mean, was this something that, you know, many performers will say I was I was acting for my family or singing, keeping my family entertained? When did you recognize? <laughs> well, it wasn't a, you know, it music was a way of escaping a lot of things that were happening in my personal life. And uh, I'm very, very blessed that my my mom had um, 
put me in music at a very young age uh, when I, I didn't know about singing until I was 10, but I definitely was exposed to dance and piano at a very young age at three or four. And that was only because they were just trying to keep me out of trouble and keep me, you know, not bouncing on the ceilings because I had a lot of energy and the doctors were just like, well, here's some pills to calm your child down. (laughs) And my dad was like, I'm not giving, I'm not giving pills to my child, you know? And, uh, So they decided that they were going to focus that energy into the arts. And, you know, my mom was definitely, she was a songwriter, not a, not a accomplished songwriter, but she was definitely coming from a world where she had, she had a brother that was in the business. And so she was trying to kind of break into that world, but was very, um, practical and, you know, went into business instead. So I feel like, And she also had a great voice. So I feel like if someone had really pushed her in that direction, she would have been very successful in that career. Um, But at 10 years old, I started singing. And I was very uh, confused at that age because my parents were getting a divorce. And, you know, the, the, (laughs) the typical thing that New Yorkers do now is go to therapy. So I was in therapy at 10 years old and talking about my feelings and, and the therapist telling me how it's not my fault and all that stuff. And I was really a depressed little girl at 10 and I was playing the piano for an, for auditions for our class play, uh, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown in fifth grade um, at PS 95 in the Bronx. And my teacher heard me singing during one of the breaks and she she was like sing that again Kenji and it was this song poor sweet baby um that everyone had to learn and it was some Snoopy and I did poor sweet baby poor poor sweet sweet baby she stopped me and she was like you are playing the role of Patty and I sang on top of the piano in the auditorium, got a standing ovation, and I realized that if this was, I had something special that I can make all these people happy, this was something I wanted to do. And that was just a game changer for me because that entire year of being 10 years old, thinking like I had the worst life ever because my parents were divorcing, that I was able to have music to turn to. That's so, that's so nice that you did find that outlet because so many other children going through that, A, parents wouldn't have put them in therapy and B, don't necessarily find something that they love that can help take or ease the pain, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think sometimes, you know, we always question like the steps in our journey, (laughs) like why is this happening? Why, you know, and I, I almost feel like, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? You know, I'm not saying that like my parents had to get divorced in order for me to find the outlet of music, right? But that definitely was um, a game changer in the next chapter of my life that I realized that I had a purpose and whether in for me, it was music and that purpose um, allowed me to really feel completely fulfilled and not feeling that there was a void inside the middle of my heart and not being able to, to fill that void. 
Well, and living in New York, there's so, so much opportunity when you recognize you have a talent like that. So talk to me about, did you perform throughout your you know, middle school? High oh, school? honey, yeah, it was over after that. Like my mom was like, what? <laughs> she was... She was practicing. She used, she has in all of her rights, she can say that she was officially my first vocal teacher because as soon as she, she had no idea that I could sing. And because she was, you know, she sang in a chorus when she was in high school and loved music. Oh my God, it's the best thing ever for her. So she was having me learn all these songs, all of her favorite songs. A lot of songs I probably shouldn't have been learning, but these were her favorite songs. So like I was learning Juicy Fruit from M2 May. <laughs> and, and I would be like, Mommy, you know, this line, like, I'll be your lollipop. You can lick me everywhere. <laughs> Juicy Fruit. Do, do, do. And my mom was like, yeah, get into it. I was like, what does that mean, Mommy? She's like, don't worry about it, baby. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> that's so funny. But that's, it, it is still the case when you're growing up. I mean, I look back at the songs that, that I used to sing, not well, by the way, but the ones I sang, and I had no idea what I was singing. I was actually, she came on. And I yes. had I had my headset on and I was singing it much to my poor family. <laughs> like, yes. Because I don't yes. have a good voice. But I was just listening to the lyrics and I'm like, wow. At the time <laughs> I had no idea I was singing about masturbation. But hey. no idea at all. And your parents, and of course now, like I'm much more conscious. Like I have a daughter, like seven-year-old daughter. So I'm just like, what are you listening to? You know, like because they're learning all these lyrics. They don't know what it means. You know, they don't know the metaphor, but. Well, but also if they're putting it on social media, because I go on my, my daughter's 13, I go on her TikTok and I see what kids are putting on there. And again, they, I don't think they're really, when they're dancing, really paying attention to the lyrics. And I'm like, before she uploads, I have to review it because I've caught a few where I'm like, nope. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're just listening to the beat, the music, the music sounds great and they're off and it becomes like a TikTok phenomenon. And then, you know, heaven forbid you try and forbid them not to listen to it. They're like, well, why? And then of course we have, when you have to break it down, (laughs) Oh, yeah. I didn't know. No, there was a song a few summers ago, I think Whistle by somebody that was about a blowjob and my child singing it in the backseat. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes you're just like, I don't need to explain to you why you should be listening to the song because this is not a conversation we're going to have yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so were you performing Juicy Fruit in front of crowds? Oh, heaven no, heaven knows. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I will give you a, like a whole like jukebox musical today. Oh no, if you're going to do Donna Summer, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for I know, it. I just finished doing a Donna Summer concert uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, Where did for- you do that? I saw, I saw something about that. Yes, I was... It was a, it was on the MSC cruise line. Oh, they wow. They hired me to come on and do two shows um, for a week. I did um, my Donna Summer tribute show. And then I also did another show that I created called Lights of Broadway to the High Seas. And so I definitely was singing on the radio. I'll go with you, MacArthur's Park. Dance, <laughs> last dance. It's my favorite. Last dance. And I leave that for the last, of course. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed the, when they had the Donna Summer musical. 
I, oh, I yeah. mean, but I honestly, you could put her music to just, you know, nothing happening on stage and I would have been thrilled. I mean, I just love her music. Yes. I mean, she, she was an absolute legend and, uh, in, in a lot, and there's obviously I talk in the not obviously, but I'm one of the artists uh, that when I do these shows, I'm always talking in between and and giving some background uh, information on the artists um, in between the shows, in between the actual songs in the shows. And I I'm not sure if you knew this, but Donna Summer sang opera. I think I did know that. And Christian yeah. music. She was, she mm-hmm. had a diverse playlist yeah. as well. She yeah. absolutely did. I mean, everyone knows her from like being like the disco queen, but the gay icon. Yes. But she, but her, she was very much, she sang opera. She did musical theater. Um, I think she did a tour of hair in Europe. I mean, like she was all over. And, you know, it just happens that the disco music was what really made her household name, but she was quite versatile as a vocal artist. All right. Well, that's a different icon. We're here to focus on you. (laughs) This show is called Becoming an Icon. And I named it that because not only do you play icons on Broadway, but you yourself, I believe, will become a Broadway icon. And I'm not just saying that. Oh my God, I love you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Speaking <laughs> into the universe. Yes. <laughs> Let's get back to your story. So you're singing through high school and then singing through high school, yes. I my mother was um training me and then of course, you know, when at that time, you know, my mom was starting my 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 dad walked out on me and my mother was trying to start a business. She was trying to find some type of school that would be able to provide scholarship and give me the musical training that I needed. And so I went to Harm School of the Arts um, for voice. Now I was going to Harm School of the Arts already for piano and dance at a very young age. So this was just like another layer of uh, musical interest that I was able to pursue at Harm School of the Arts because they they did dance, they had instrumentalists, um, you know, arts, everything, all of the arts that you can imagine they have for um, the training of the students. And my teacher, which was Miss Yvonne Hatchett, I went to her wanting to learn how to do more Whitney and Mariah riffs. And she heard the potential for opera and started training me classically. And from there, I went on to LaGuardia High School Performing Arts and started winning a lot of competitions. I competed in a lot of competitions purely for scholarship money to um, go to college. And so I was like competition queen <laughs> between um, between like age 14 through 17. And was the first opera singer to win the Le- the Lena Horn competition. I won the Leontine Price competition. Oh my goodness! Um, the ASCAP Lieber and Staller Award. All these competitions um, was able to kind of put me in front of a lot of important people, um, like Mike Staller and Jerry Lieber. And and then I got into Manhattan School of Music on scholarship, and. The rest was history. I, I continued performing um, during the summers. I, I, mean, I never had a break. I was so like literally like eating, drinking and living music on a daily basis. Um, I was 
doing my studies during the summer times. I never took a break. I was always wanting to do a music festival. So during the summers, I was either going to Italy or going to Israel or doing Tanglewood, going to Aspen Music Festival. And then I went to Juilliard for my master's degree and continuing the summer type thing, like always performing during the summer um, as a student, because the the roles were normally the for opera, the, the main roles would be given to the master's students. So during the summers would be my opportunities to actually learn and perform a role because that was a little more open to anybody who was auditioning for it. And so by the time I graduated from Juilliard, I had already had done a multitude of different roles in operas in, you know, Israel and Italy. And I had done a JOC production because uh, um, Frank Cassaro was like, no one can do this role except for Nikenji. And it was like a big, a big drama thing because we're like, no, it should be going to a JOC. And JOC was like the professional school at Juilliard. And they're like, she's a master student. She, she should be singing chorus. And he gave me this role in uh, Nino Rota's uh, um, Italian straw hat. And then I got reviews with opera news and then soon after that I was immediately singing at City Opera and singing at Virginia Opera and Seattle Opera so it it was non-stop like I was like very like opera 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 <laughs> and that was like I I never took a break at all because I I, I loved it so I much. was gonna say did it, it probably never felt like work so, no, right? no, it was fun. I was like, "Ooh, I'm going to go to a different festival this summer, and I'm going to do Despina and Cosi Fantute. This will be great, you know." And yeah, this was fun. And also, I'm born and raised in New York, so I was going to school in New York. So my my exploratory life was happening during the summertime. That trying to find my independence away from the parents was happening during the summertime when I would go away and perform because I never had that on-campus university experience because I was going to conservatories and living at home. Well, I have to say, having grown up in Ohio, had the on-campus experience, I don't know. I just feel like living in New York City is such a bigger life experience and all the travel that you that you were able to do, you know, just living here and being around all the languages and being exposed to so many cultures is such an education. More than anything, I'm glad that I can give that to my daughter because I know when you and I were talking earlier about um, the 11 languages that you sing in, which we're going to talk about. When growing up in Ohio, I mean, for me, it was like in what they offered at school, English, French, and Spanish, and German, but like, you weren't exposed to any of that. So it was, you know, you learned it in school, but it wasn't like I walked outside and heard people really speaking those languages. And yes. I just think when you're immersed in it and you're around it and there's opportunity to use it, it's just such a different experience. So absolutely. I mean, honestly, I, I kind of don't care if my daughter goes and has that campus life. I'd much rather she has like life experiences. I think they're just so much more valuable, mm-hmm. but that's a whole different show. Um, <laughs> yes. So uh, did you at any point while you were doing this work that really wasn't work, do you ever have a moment where you were worried that it couldn't be a career that you might never, never. I was, I was a very ambitious and very focused young individual. 
very. <laughs> I was like, yes. I mean, I there was I remember um, Metropolitan Opera House was doing an audition. They were doing auditions for their chorus. And for their chorus, it's usually, you know, grown adults. You know, people are looking to perform there. And, um, you know, they have a full, full, like, full yearly salary with benefits, you name it, right? And I just decided that I was going to walk in and audition for Metropolitan Opera House at 16 years old. (laughs) And I was by far the youngest person auditioning there. And they probably thought I was lost. (laughs) And they're just like, what are you here for? And it's like, I'm here to audition. And here's my resume and all of this stuff. And I walk in and it's, I don't, I can't remember who it was that I was auditioning for. It was, you know, it was about three or four individuals and they actually gave me a full audition. Yeah. And I just think that they were just fascinated that this young <laughs> girl was coming in, just the balls that I had, you know, at 16, it was like, I'm doing this. And I remember Normally in these auditions, you know, you'll you'll get to sing an aria and maybe half another one. I mean, they heard my whole repertoire list. I had like three to five arias. I had the longest audition ever. And then afterwards, it was just like, how old are you? What school do you go to? They're so sweet to me. And they said, well, you're very, very talented. Please come back in, you know, five to ten years. <laughs> wow. You know, and of course, I did not come back in five to 10 years, because then in five to 10 years, I started crossing over to the Broadway world. So. So before we jump into that, I want to talk about the 11 languages that you sing in, mm-hmm. because I know we talked about it before the show, but I want you to tell the audience about the 11 languages that you sing in. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I have always been very fascinated with the different cultures and languages. And as a student, as an opera student, we learned the international phonetic alphabet, and that we call it for by short at IPA. And the three main languages that we perform and for opera is German, French and Italian. So we learned the IPA to be able to learn these, to sing in these three languages and sound like natives, you know, no accent. Sometimes, you know, you do actually sound foreign because there's no accent. (laughs) A lot of these countries, they, you know, they identify the accent, what region you're coming from when you don't have an accent and it's absolutely pure and perfect. Then you're like, okay, you're a foreigner as well. So sometimes you can't get away way from trying to sound authentic but we you know with Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard being like the top top universities like literally in the world we you know we got the best coaches to we would learn the IPA we'd get coachings on the different languages we'd have specific coaches that would specialize in each of these languages that were native speakers and I was also very interested in contemporary music and a lot of the contemporary music that I would do we're coming from other, you know, languages, not not just the three top languages, but like uh, there was a an opera based on Nelson Mandela's life. And that opera was in Zulu. So then I would learn how to sing in Zulu. Uh, there was a, a piece, uh, Alessandro um, um, Iglesias, and he wrote a piece in Quechua because he was from that region of Peru. And I was doing that with the Juilliard Ensemble with um, Joel Sachs. And so I would learn Quechua. And the funny thing about Quechua is because my no one could coach me in Quechua. <laughs> 
<laughs> there was no coaches that were coaching in Quechua. And this, you know, and these are pieces from from artists that didn't necessarily live in New York. It was just a beautiful piece that Joel Sachs wanted to do. And so my dad was my second dad um, when my mom got remarried. He was a math professor at Queens College, and he happened to be teaching students whose parents were from Peru and happened to know Quechua. And so I sent my dad organizers where I sent them the music and they spoke into a recorder for me to understand how all of those words were supposed to be pronounced. And that's how I learned Quechua. (laughs) Only in New York. Only in New York. (laughs) That would not have happened in Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and, in Latin, you know, I've been singing, you know, there's a lot of oratorios in Latin, Spanish, uh, Russian. I love Russian. Oh, my God. Um, there's a Russian um, composer, Glier, where my Russian uh, coach had exposed me to at Juilliard. And I loved it. It's very, it sounds very much like Rachmaninoff, their contemporaries. So, when I would get exposed to new music that I really loved, and it wasn't like one of the three main languages that I was being trained to do, I would just do the extra work and learn how to sing in that language. So they started adding up. <laughs> now it's 11 languages that I sing in. I wish I had, as I mentioned before, before the interview started, I wish I had 72 hours in a day that I could truly learn how to speak those languages fluently but it's just not enough there's I can't like there's I'd have to have like three or four of me (laughs) but I have a really unique and authentic appreciation for those languages and the cultures and and I and I love it I just love being able to go into a country and sing in their native language and in Italy we 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 would get Italians to come back to us like after seeing Cosi Fanfuti and start talking to us in Italian. <laughs> and, and at that time, I was able to be able to have like a basic conversation in Italian, French and German because we were so immersed in those languages. Because for opera, you're not just learning the music, but before I even learn a note, I had to write everything down on a piece of paper, translate everything word by word. And then, of course, figure out how that phrase is supposed to mean, because sometimes, you know, with English, you know, their verbs are in a different placement. So, you know, you the like Germans, like the verb is always like at the end of the sentence. So that's why they say that's why Germans are always so intensely listening to you because they're like listening to the end. <laughs> you know what 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 you're about to say, you know what that meaning is behind that sentence. But it's great. I I love the languages and and if I had the opportunity to be dropped into any of those countries and be immersed in that culture, I would take that opportunity in a second. Well, I mean, I've always been impressed by opera, but just from what you said, it feels like if you can do opera, all that other, all the other types of music should not be too much of a challenge because opera, I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not just singing. It's, it's learning the language. And as someone who the only accent I can do is an Ohio accent, <laughs> like I am so impressed by someone who can not only learn those languages, but sing them and act them at the same. That's just, that's a lot of work. 
Yes, it is a lot of work. I mean, the opera singers, God, I mean, I give so much kudos for opera because there's so many elements to put together in an opera. Um, and the just like there are elements to put in a musical, but you then have the other, like the language barrier that you have to learn. And it's not just learning, immersing yourself in the language that you're singing, but knowing you know, the, the, the history of, of the composer and why he, what inspired him to write that role and the relationship, because these, these were written, you know, you know, centuries ago, <laughs> you know, outside of like the new opera, you know, obviously that's a little different, but you know, it, it's a lot of history and research that you're doing behind these operas that not, you don't necessarily have to do for musical theater. And with opera, the you immediately when you show up to and this is this is the first thing that was very blatantly different for me. Um, with opera, you don't really have that many rehearsals. Like you have to come already like with your music learned. Like first rehearsal, like on your feet. <laughs> it's like because you know they they have the zitz probe and you're rehearsing with the, with the orchestra and there's, and there's just so much like intricacy when it comes to the staging and stuff that in the opera world, when you show up to rehearsal number one, you, you have to be fully learned. And it's just a matter of like critiquing um, the, your accent uh, or, you know, your interpretation of the piece. Whereas with, uh, so that means you're paying for a coach language coaches to coach you on this opera for a, a big chunk of time before your first rehearsal. Whereas with musical theater, there's a tendency of um, coming and, you know, you, you get your music ahead of time, but you, it's not so strict of you having like your entire role learned on day one. They, they're prepared to teach you your role, you know, step by step. And that's very, very different from opera. So I want to jump ahead because another interesting piece of your career was who discovered you and then what your first big role was. Barry Gordy, who is an icon in music. Now, was he the founder founder of Motown? Oh, yes, he was. Right. Okay. He is Motown. (laughs) Barry Gordy is Motown, yes. And so he discovered you at a show, correct, and represented you? Well, yeah, so not exactly. What happened is I was singing in Monte Carlo, performing a Diana Ross, Diana Ross role in a musical, kind of like a jukebox musical that was happening in a sporting club. And a gentleman knew Barry Gordy. And he came to me after the show and said, I know Barry Gordy. I think he needs to hear you. Let me know. Here's my card. Let me know whenever you're in LA and I'll make the introduction. And of course, I mean, that was, it was so random. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? And of course, all the cast members were like, yeah, please. He obviously had too many, too many things to drink. He's just trying to get in touch with you. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, well, that's, a, that's the first time we heard a line like that. You know, like everyone was making a joke of it. Right. <laughs> but me, always like very business. I was like, who knows? You know, you never know. So then I reached out to him via email. I sent him like my, my, my resume and recordings. And I said, Oh, here, here's all my information. When can I set up a meeting with Barry Gordy? And he said, Oh, you know, 
didn't realize that he was not a music person. He just knew Barry Gordy like on a personal level. They were friends, but he was a music person. So me sending my resume and, and MP3s of my recordings like didn't mean anything to him. <laughs> so he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, well, that's really, this is great, but just, just let me know when you're in LA. <laughs> and so I literally paid for a flight. I flew myself to LA had no plans, didn't know where I was going to stay, nothing. I just took a flight to LA, landed. As soon as I got off at LAX, I gave him a call and I said, hi, I'm in LA. When can I meet Mr. Gordy? <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, well, let's meet for dinner and let's talk about it. And I had my package and everything, you know, went to dinner with him. He calls Barry Gordy while we're having dinner and got Barry Gordy on the telephone and he said, Hey man, you know, I met this, this cute girl who happens to know how to sing, man, you know, you want to talk to her? Just gave me the telephone. To be and Mr. Gordy was like, so I heard you're a singer. I said, yes. Hi, how are you? Like, you know, I wasn't like, Oh my God, you're a Motown. Like, I was like, hi, how are you? I was just trying to be as cool as possible. Even though like my heart was beating like, and like a million times over. And he said, so what do you sing? I said, I sing from opera to pop. And he was like, <laughs> that's funny. He was like, no, but like, really? Like, what do you, like, what's your specialty? Like, what do you, what do you sing? I said, really? Like, I sing from opera to pop. <laughs> and he laughed. He thought it was very funny. And so he's like, put John on the telephone. John got the phone. He's like, she's, spunky she got a little spice to her yeah bring her over and that I came over he's like, I got 30 minutes for her so I came over had my tracks sang sang my heart out for 30 minutes that turned into about four hours in the rest that, of you know that could have been a dateline episode you really it really <laughs> went well it, it, it could have gone a lot of different ways you could not have known Barry Gordy. It, it could have been a serial. Like, wow. I know. I know. Yeah, I, you it, know, it's so it funny. It did. <laughs> it could have been, yes. You know, I have a feeling, like, I. it's so weird because there's so many, a lot of things that have happened in my life that could have been, you know, and somehow I just feel like the universe is just, not just, you know, just God, just like, just having a protecting shield over me and just making sure that, everything was okay because there, I, there's a number of situations that could have gone a whole different way and it didn't. And in this case, this was absolutely a game changer on changed my life forever because I was working with Barry Gordy. He became my mentor and then we did Motown together. And, but before Motown happened, I had the reason why I sang for President Obama was because of Mr. Gordy. <laughs> He's the one who set that up because I was his protege and I flew in a private jet with Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson to, to DC and had like an experience that I will never, never forget in my entire life. No, I mean, coming from where you started and you know, where the story started in therapy, your fa- your parents' divorce, to being on a private plane with two of Motown's originals, like that's, that's incredible. So you were Mary Wells in mm-hmm. Motown on Broadway. And how long did, how long did you play that role? 
I played it from beginning to the end till we closed. Um, we opened, oh, I think the show ran for almost two years. I don't know the exact dates. During that run, I got pregnant with my daughter. So I took a maternity leave and then I came back. Sadly, while I was on maternity leave is when I heard about the closing of the show. I was devastated. Oh my God, devastated. I thought that show was going to run forever. <laughs> and so everyone thought that I was going to stay home. No, oh, Nikenji's not coming back. She's going to stay home with that baby. And, you know, my daughter was born October 2nd, 2014. And I went back to the show, I think in December, um, six to seven weeks before it closed. So I was able to originate the role and close my role out. And since then, I know you recently were in Caroline or Change. Have you done other shows besides? Yes. So I, so I did. Yes, I did the Moon in Carolina Change, and that was amazing. It was at Roundabout Theater, which was wonderful because. Roundabout Theater is where I actually did my Broadway debut, which was in Sondheim and Sondheim. I was Vanessa Williams standby. And that was, it was amazing. I met Vanessa Williams and Norm Lewis was in that show and Tom Wopat and it was Barbara Cook. It was such an amazing uh, small cast, beautiful, beautiful theater. And coming back to Roundabout after all these years it was it was wonderful. And to come back to roundabout, you know, in in a principal role, you know, versus being a standby. So, of course, that experience was very, very different. And and then in between all of this, I've been developing a Dorothy Dandridge musical as well as a television show entitled Black Butterfly. And what is the status of that? The status is that we have some amazing networks that are interested in Black Butterfly. So we are in the midst of finding uh, talent to attach to the show. And that's what we're in, like doing right now. And we are also, for Dorothy Dandridge, we, we have an amazing team. Uh, Tamara Tooney is the director. Shelton Becton is the composer. Trey Ellis is the book writer, as well as lyricist with Shelton Becton. And we are going to be doing a table read in the next couple of months, along with a, a full read of the whole show and bringing it to Carnegie Hall in July. So it's already booked for Carnegie Hall. So yes, July 17th and 18th. <laughs> Were you, was it supposed to happen in 21? And because of pandemic, did it get pushed or did, was there something else I saw when I was reading on your website, there was something that was going to happen in 21 that may have been pushed. I was supposed to be doing a Don, my Donna summer show at Carnegie hall. That's what it was. Okay. So that has been pushed. That has no date right now, sadly, but priority has gone, has been turned to Dorothy Dandridge. Hey, they're both great, right? Yeah, they're both great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The the Donna Summer show is a one woman show. And, you know, there's always going to be opportunities to do that show and just waiting on a date because obviously with pandemic, a lot of dates have been shipped because of that. But with Dorothy Dandridge being a full, a full musical, and we have, we also have some regional theaters that have been very interested in its journey and trying to do productions of it, it was time to make Dorothy Dandridge 
kind of the <laughs> Dorothy got got pushed up to the front front of the line and and Donna Donna she's just chilling back singing I love to love you baby on <laughs> here and, and have you sing Donna some songs so once you perform how long are you at Carnegie Hall with Dorothy it's two nights it's songs from the Dorothy Dandridge musical okay and so then what happens from there what happens from there is that we, uh, the next step would be to do a workshop, a full workshop. And after the workshop, we would do a regional a theater performance. And the next step would be Broadway after that. And in your ideal world, when, when would Broadway happen? If, if everything works out, pandemic be damned. We don't <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In my ideal world, I would love for Dorothy Dandridge to hit Broadway in the spring of 2023. Amazing. Well, look, lady, given what has come your way and how things have worked out, I fully expect to see your name in lights uh, along with Dorothy Dandridge. So I hope for the best and I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. But before we go, I always play a game with my guests. And so I have, I have one for you. Excuse me. It is called Some Things About Mary. And it's trivia about Mary Wells, because I want to see how much you know about the icon that you played on Broadway. Are oh you my. ready? Oh, my God. I know I was going to be tested. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. Growing up in Detroit, do you know which two illnesses she suffered from as a child? And if you you obviously didn't play her as a child, so you probably you might not know this. So oh, I just know about her her lung cancer. Okay, well, she, as an adult, yes. As a child, she had spinal meningitis and tuber- tuberculosis. Oh wow! Oh. Now her her life reading it all in a few paragraphs it was it was pretty sad. It was impressive, but also very sad. She okay. went through a lot. She went through a lot. Yes. So you must know her first hit song. Yes. My guy. Now that's the biggest. Her oh, the biggest. Oh, 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 oh. Bye bye love. Bye bye baby. Bye bye baby. Yes. Bye bye baby. Bye bye love. But yes, she sings that. Those are the lyrics. Yes. Okay. Do you know who, and I think you actually know this person, who the up-and-coming writer was that she worked on with the one who really loves you? Smokey Robinson. Yes. Your friend from the private plane. Yes. Yes. And do you know how old she was when she left Motown? Because this blew me away. I had no idea how young she was. Ooh, I thought it was 18. 21. She was, I think it, she started at 17 there. She, I didn't realize how young she was. Oh yeah. She was a, she was a young buck. Yes. yes. 21. Yes. Okay. Yes. Because I, I'm pretty sure in what I read, her career was essentially over by the time she was 25 or something. I mean. Yeah. Cause the, they couldn't find any hits for her. No. Yeah. When okay. she got Motown, Motown was like the hit factory and you know, she, and because she was such a big star at the time and, Beatles wanted to perform with her and all that stuff. She obviously got lured away to, you know, a, another, a bigger label. And then they couldn't, they didn't have the writers. No. And yeah, it's, it's quite a sad story. Finally, do you know when she divorced 
Cecil, she married his brother. Do you know what his brother's name was? Did you even know that she married brothers? <laughs> I didn't know the brother's name. What is his name? Curtis. I was going to say Tyrone. Tyrone. <laughs> <laughs> Call Tyrone. All right. Yes. <laughs> what, what it must be like to be your own like jukebox, your own like... <laughs> I would just sit and sing to myself all day and get nothing oh done. <laughs> if I just sang to myself all day, I'd make no money. <laughs> <laughs> but you'd be happy. And you know what? At, at the end of exactly. the day. At the right. end of the day, exactly. Well, Nikenji, do you want to leave us with your social media channels? Absolutely. Yes. I am Diva Nikenji, which is D-I-V-A-N-K-E-N-G-E. I'm Diva Nikenji on Twitter, Diva Nikenji on Instagram. I'm Nikenji's Music on Facebook. Oh, I'm also Diva Nikenji on TikTok, which is, I'm a new TikToker, so I <laughs> have a lot of content, but I'm trying to build that. And on my website, I am nikenjimusic.com. And we're working on a brand spanking new website soon. So that will be live in a few months. So stay tuned to that. And you- we'll be able to find out what you're working on, where you are, how they can get tickets on the website when it's all updated. Yes, absolutely. And usually, and I also have a newsletter. So I have a newsletter that I send out to everyone once a month that will let people know about my upcoming concerts or any, you know, podcasts that I'm on. <laughs> and so if they go onto my website, nikenjmusic.com, or if they send me a direct message on Twitter or Instagram, they can send me their email address and subscribe and add their name to the list. And so they'll always be updated on a monthly basis once a month. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Why don't, can you sing Job School podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty. <laughs> oh my god! I know, I you know, I I uh, you know, you want me to make up some some lyrics? Sure. For you? <laughs> they can be dirty, you know. We're just here for the beat, right? <laughs> Any specific lyrics you'd like to have in there? I don't know. You can throw my name in Jobs Book Podcast, you know, with Brianna. Well, yeah, yeah, let's see, let's see. Uh, and do you like, do you like brief or short or do you? Sure. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, won't you go to Brie? Cause she will tell you all the information and introduce you to the legends. <laughs> For the icons. <laughs> Thank you so much again. This is the Jobs Blow Podcast. We're at jobsblowpodcast.com, at Jobs Blow Podcast on all of our social channels. Please review and subscribe and check out Nikenji. Go to her website and definitely, if you're in New York, check her show out at Carnegie Hall this summer. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you.